also, if you want to put the questions in the chat, you could do that too. That Let is me. a great idea, but we done already started recording. So we here now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Perfect. Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as a sexual health communications platform uh, for people who are navigating STI stigma. STI being sexually transmitted infection, not the car. So I made the mistake of like hashtagging STI on all my stuff. And then when I looked at the hashtag, I was like, where's my pose? And it's just all these cars. So an STI has something to do with cars. I learned that over the last five years and I just stopped using it. I think that they deserve to have their hashtag and have their cars and their hobbies. I don't want to come in and, and ruin it for them. But uh, today we've got an episode uh, that is brought to you by, I say it like they're a sponsor. Well, it is a sponsorship now that I think about it in the language of the uh, contract agreement, the Oregon Health Authority, um, which we have been allowed to record 12 podcast episodes with people in Oregon who've had experiences with STIs. And essentially, the overall purpose of this is to draw the connection between um, how the information that a person receives after they received an STI would have been so much more useful to them in navigating STI stigma and their diagnosis had they had it beforehand. We're talking about how sex positivity has also been something that has been welcoming and inclusive to people who've tested positive with or had experiences with SCIs. And these are things that have come up organically in the podcast interviews and um, also some questions about like kink and BDSM because a lot of the language and terminology around negotiations in those spaces are applicable to youth. Um, sex aside, we're talking about consent. We're talking about recognizing healthy and unhealthy behavior. We're talking about seeking support in the event that you are wronged, being able to ask for what you need and identify what you need, and then being able to not only um, hear and receive a no from someone, but to also be able to say no and take up for yourself and learning these things about boundaries and negotiating the dynamics of relationships so that we minimize our potential exposure to STIs and um, in being in abusive or unhealthy relationships as well. So today's guest is Zia. Now, the paper that uh, the survey that I had you take, I just realized I have both of my phones right now being utilized. Normally, I would read off. And also, so many people have taken the survey that I can't just like look and be like, oh, this person said this because this wasn't said before. <laughs> so um, if you can give me your name, pronouns, um, anything else that you want to offer, and then we can just go into your experience with your diagnosis. Okay. Yeah, so my name is Zia. I'm based in Oregon, obviously. I'm 22 years old. I use she, her pronouns, and I was diagnosed with herpes in fall of 2020. Thank you for that. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about the experience with your diagnosis? Like, how'd you find out that you had herpes? Yeah, so I contracted, had symptoms, and was diagnosed basically all in one week. Um I was diagnosed on October 1st of 2020 at Planned Parenthood, basically. Um, I went in and I would say I had a fairly positive experience with my provider. Like, they, I would say... 
might be a strong word. It was very neutral. Um, they weren't stigmatizing or I didn't feel that they were judging me. Um, they gave me one piece of paper with basic information about herpes and that was kind of all I walked out of that office with, um, which I think is a bit lacking. But at the same time, I didn't leave feeling like terrible about myself because of what my provider said. That was more like my internal um, confrontation with like the narratives I had been raised um, with about STIs and also just being like fairly young um, and not having a ton of experience uh, with talking about STIs with other people and all of that. Um, so I think that my experience was like very intense for personal reasons, but I don't think that that was, um, you know, intensified by my provider. Um, I do clearly remember, though, like Googling my symptoms like the night before my appointment, basically, and finding herpes, obviously, and looking at it and being like, wow, that matches my my symptoms the best out of all of them. And I remember thinking, like, please just have it be anything except for herpes um, because it wasn't like it's not curable. And I obviously had heard like some herpes jokes um, and just kind of like that narrative around it. And so, yeah, my diagnosis experience was kind of multifaceted in terms of like a fairly decent medical provider, um, but like very lacking information from my upbringing and sex education in school. So, Given that you're so young, you have a pretty more um, fresh experience with your sex education. Can you talk to me about like what parallel what parallels there may have been between how you received your sex education and then how you went forward with receiving this diagnosis? Yeah, um, so my sex education was essentially like one day at school. Um, I remember we did like an exercise where people got split into groups and everybody researched an SCI. And I remember I was in the group for HPV and then everybody like presented back to the class. And um, I really don't feel that that was successful because that meant that my sex education was essentially coming from other kids Googling things rather than like a put together curriculum. Um, I, there was a slideshow also from my teacher um, and the language was like fairly inclusive, but I still think it was lacking. But the biggest takeaway was like, it would talk about STIs, but then it ended with go get tested, especially if you are having symptoms. And then there was no discussion though of what happens if you test positive. Mm. And so um, I had, found myself testing positive and being like, well, then what does my life look like? What am I supposed to do next? Like nobody ever talks about what happens when you get your diagnosis. Um, and everybody just pushes for testing. <laughs> so it's like this weird um, position to be in where it's like, well, I did what I'm supposed to do, but nobody prepared me for the result, right? Um, so yeah, that was kind of my experience with having just been in sex ed class a few years prior and then, yeah, walking into that space and then exiting Planned Parenthood in a new position that I had no idea how to navigate. Yeah. 
Um, thank you for sharing your experience there. And it's interesting because the sex education that you received was kids Googling things and the sex education that many of the Something Positive for Positive People podcast guests have received <laughs> is from Googling. Like if we're all doing the same thing, like why have sex education at all if it's going to be Googling? Like I almost think that the way that you received your sex education would have been better off not received. Like because, you know, you could then say, I don't know. I didn't know. And this is how I ended up in this situation. And then you are able to find the information that's most relevant to you rather than recapping any of the the things that might have been said by classmates that are stigmatizing, that are bad, that are inaccurate. And you would have in this space of being 22, 21 uh, when you were diagnosed you would have been able to, with an adult lens, be able to take in this information. So it brings up the question of, is our current sex education doing more harm than good? And this is something that I've never even thought of until you just shared that experience. So what are your thoughts? Like, would you have been better off Googling these things on your own after diagnosis? Or did your sex ed support you at all leading up to this point I think it was just so insignificant like I don't think it really had an impact because it was like one it was so fast it was only probably a couple of hours um and two you know there's varying levels of commitment by students right to find information and present it successfully in classes when you're doing a project that nobody signed up to do and when you're also doing a presentation on something that everybody doesn't really want to talk about, especially at that age, right? Um, so I think it's just, it was uncomfortable um, in that sense. I think that in some ways, though, it was a lot better than receiving a sex education that promoted abstinence um, completely, or that didn't talk about STIs at all, or that didn't encourage people to look for that information. Um but, you know, there was no disclaimer at the end that was like, well, there's a lot more information out there. Your peers just chose the most simple facts they could find that were at the top of their Google search, right? Um, so, I don't know. I just, yeah, I think that it could have been handled better for sure. Um one thing that was interesting that isn't fully my experience, but sort of my experience was when I was doing my own research and asking people about their sex education, there was a lot of commentary around how sex education is often approached, like going through all of the STIs in one day and just kind of like blowing through all of them. And that that can lead to like a really shallow understanding of all of them and also like not being able to really tell them apart. And I kind of feel like that happened a little bit with me, too, is like if you're just going around sharing in a circle, like really simple facts about them, but then not inviting like more specific questions or deeper insights into what that STI actually looks like and manifests in the lives of people. um, Yeah, you just kind of like don't really actually learn anything. Um, So 
I guess that's my stance on that. Okay. What did you yeah. learn on your own after your diagnosis? Planned Parenthood gives you the sheet of paper, and I'm sure you go and you did your own research because uh, we can also, this would be a good point to also tie into your thesis that you did on herpes. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to know, what did your Googling, where did that lead you? What did you learn? Um, well, I remember the night after being diagnosed, I found Lorene HD on YouTube. And that was probably the first time that I encountered a resource where it was somebody talking about their lived experience with herpes and talking about it in a way that showed me like, oh, wow, yeah, I can still, you know, have sex or date or there's other there's ways to manage it. All of that kind of more personalized information that's not found on that fact sheet from Planned Parenthood, right? Um, and that kind of encounter pushed me to find other resources that centered the lived experiences of herpes positive people. So I found your page, I found Safe Slut, um, you know, all of the the main ones that pop up when you start Googling, like hashtag herpes in the Instagram um, app. So I think that immersing myself though in those resources like on my Instagram feed helped me a lot to just be like incorporating it kind of subtly like I wasn't having to spend hours and hours searching on my own and like encountering some quite nasty honestly in my opinion resources that come up when you google or just not useful things um and instead it was like, oh, I can scroll on Instagram for a couple minutes and like see a few pictures of my friends and then see a post of yours um, and then a post from Trisha, like, and get a little bit of insight um, without feeling like such a burden of having to like really dig for um, information like online. Yeah. So the lived experiences of people was helpful to you. Yes, absolutely. Because, again, I had no idea what happens after you test positive, especially for something that's not curable. Um, so, like, seeing other people live their lives and deal with navigating STI stigma or um, dating and disclosure and I don't even think that my provider said anything about disclosure at all and so I think I found out about disclosure through you know the online resources from the community talking about disclosure and like giving disclosure scripts or talking about their latest experience and all of that so that's yeah. come up in a few conversations that I had throughout this podcast series as well, is that you're not taught how to disclose. And that's probably the tide for the most important thing. Like, first off, how do I manage this? And second off, like, how do I tell a partner about this? Because essentially people are like, nobody's going to want to have sex with me. And that's not the case. And to see the lived experiences of other people and to hear about them and know that it is going to be like there are still people who are going to want to have sex with you and the way that you deliver that information um it really does tie back into how we go into like managing your relationships establishing and setting boundaries um 
those kinds of things. These are the things that you learned after your diagnosis that if included with your sex education, you know, without it being seen as, oh, we're encouraging kids to get an STI or we're telling them that it's okay to get one. But it is because it happens. You know, look at COVID, right? We're getting COVID and it was dangerous and deadly. Well, I mean, you know, people have and are still dying from it. And it seems like our tolerance of it has just evolved. And it's like, oh, well, you're going to get it. You know, everybody's going to get it. Just get vaccinated and quarantine if you get it. Disclose to the people around you that you might have exposed. That dialogue is very similar to the conversations that we have to have about SCIs. And SCIs have been around for years and years. COVID has been here two and a half, right? And we're already at that point. And I get, you know, the seriousness of it and um, how it can be fatal to some people. Um, And here, there's no or little awareness or concern about how detrimental this can be to a person's mental health to the point of suicide ideation, which is why something positive for positive people started is because people with herpes wanted to kill themselves because their sex education looked like or less than like the sex education that you receive. So tying that all back to the point that I want to make is even something as simple as taking the lived experiences of people and compiling bits and pieces of that information into a document. Because like learning about herpes is a process. Someone reached out to me recently and was like, hey, do you have like a, a one sheet? No, I don't. But I can like come in and talk to people and like answer their questions about it because it's more of a discussion. The information that we have is inaccurate, it's inconsistent, it's compiled by people who don't have herpes and don't know what it's like to have herpes and may not know anyone who's open around them who has herpes. Um, And the information that we're getting from people with herpes very much parallels STIs in general. And we have to go so much deeper into those non-sexual components of our sex education in order to manage this. And the people who have tested positive have done that work. So now it's a matter of getting our stories, our experiences compiled in a way to where it can be integrated into the current STI resources. Because like you said, you know, get tested when you have symptoms was the end of your sex ed. It wasn't if you test positive, here's how you tell a partner. Here's how you move on. Uh, These are the medications that you can take. Here's the treatment plan. We didn't get any of that. Exactly. Yeah, and I like, you know, it's a hard situation to obviously be in, but at the same time, like, I'm so thankful that I tested positive because I had so much learning that needed to happen that I don't think I would have done if I didn't get herpes. Um, and that's not to say that, like, I don't struggle with it. Like, to be honest, I still have a very, like, challenging relationship with herpes, even though at the same time it's brought, like, the best things to my life, like, hands down the best people so much learning so much self-awareness um and like just really enhanced my communication skills and also like my ability to identify like my needs and I don't think that that was like ever part really of my like sex ed 
educate like my sex education didn't really emphasize that especially like as a woman <laughs> um so I feel really like lucky to have tested positive in that way and been forced to to navigate that and like learn beyond what I think I would have otherwise done mm-hmm uh, I'd like to go back to your experience with uh, Planned Parenthood briefly. Uh, you said that it was a positive experience and then you, you know, it, it sounded weird. So you called it like a more neutral experience. Um, can you point out some things that were done well and maybe things that you feel like could have been done better from your experience from walking in and or from setting the appointment walking in and interacting with the nurse showing them the outbreak uh and then everything from there that you're comfortable with sharing yeah so it was covid when i was diagnosed so i had a telehealth like appointment and i remember sitting on my sofa and having to like describe what was going on like without showing them and they were like oh yeah i think you should definitely come in um for like an exam and to get tested and I was like okay and so I think they scheduled an appointment like two days later maybe so I was really thankful honestly that I got in quite quickly because I was fairly uncomfortable and also like being uncertain about what's happening with your own body is really overwhelming um and setting the appointment was easy I showed up and they did an exam and like, you know, 30 seconds in, she said something like, well, this looks like herpes. And then she's like, but we'll talk about it in a minute. Like, but, you know, of course, having her say that like right away, um, like my head just started <laughs> like overthinking everything. And at the same time, I was like thinking nothing because I was in shock. So I think that that was an interesting um way to go about that I don't think it was bad at all um but it also like I think didn't set me up well for like being ready to have a conversation after like I think I would have preferred for her to not have said anything and then for her to like sit down and talk with me like while I'm (laughs) dressed again I guess and like more comfortable to like have a second and then ask questions. I don't think I really asked any questions because I was so in my head and so overwhelmed. And um, so I think that that dynamic or like timing could have been a little bit (laughs) different. Yeah. What would you have thought if your, um, if your, your, I don't know what to call her, nurse? Was, Was this a nurse? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, if your <laughs> staff member, oh my God, that doesn't even feel right. If the provider, let's say that, yeah. if the healthcare provider presented you with some common questions and like what mm-hmm. her answers would have been like, okay, uh, do you have any questions for me? And you yeah. don't know what questions to ask because you're in shock, you're in your head, you probably just want to get out of there. Um, if you were presented with, well, some common questions that people have about this, I, again, I diagnose people all the time. Uh, the main thing is, are their genitals always going to look like this? And no, the medication that we subscribe to you, prescribe to you, uh, whatever, Valtrex, Valcyclovir, Cyclovir, uh, you have two options. You can take one daily to suppress the medication or you can just take uh, the medication as needed. 
I recommend as needed to start out so that you can see how well your body manages a virus. If you are having frequent or reoccurring outbreaks, then we can put you on a daily suppressive therapy. With that being said, here's what the risk of transmission looks like to partners. Um, you can still have sexual relationships with this diagnosis. It's just good practice to disclose your status. Here's this resource that... Um, goes into more detail about how to disclose but just like you know you tell someone that you have a cold or you tell someone that you are you know ill in some way and you're potentially putting them at risk for exposure like you just share that with them during times of symptoms and uh, maybe high stress where you may feel an outbreak coming along you may want to refrain from contact with that general area so as to minimize the possibility of transmission so there's always a possibility of transmitting the virus but there are points where risk of transmission is significantly lower and um, here's this awesome podcast by this guy named Courtney called something positive for positive people and if you have like more curiosity um, like he does a really great job of diving into people's lived experiences who are living with herpes um, do you uh, and again these are just a few common questions that people have and I thought that it'd be good to just give you that because I know you're in shock I know that this is a lot of information it can be potentially overwhelming um, does that give you a little bit more to work from? Like, has that sparked any questions within you uh, just now? I mean, yeah, I wish that was how it was. <laughs> um, I do think, so now that I'm like thinking about it more, I do, she prescribed me acyclovir and was like, you know, it'll be at the pharmacy of your choosing. Um, take it for this first outbreak and some people take it every day and some people only take it like when they're having an outbreak or feeling like they might. Um, so it, she did give me that piece of information. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure she might've said that it's fairly common. Okay. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a whole lot beyond that. Um, and I was in a lot of pain, and I think that she did comment on how, for a lot of people, the first outbreak is the worst. Um, so I was really thankful for, for that piece of feedback about how it manifests in people's bodies. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was fairly brief and fairly, I don't know, just... There obviously could have been more. I wish she had connected me to more resources or said at least that there is a huge online herpes positive community. Um, but also like having done my own research and talking with people, like I've heard some horror stories of how providers have reacted. And so I think that that also shapes how I see my, my experience. And I feel really lucky that it was really neutral. Um, so, yeah. Well, lucky for you, Something Positive for Positive People is also uh, working to educate health practitioners who've been in the field for a while who may not have had much experience with getting feedback from their patients on how they made them feel about their sexual history taking, about the delivery of their diagnosis. Because I hear from people way more 
uh, about their negative experiences with the healthcare provider than positive ones. So what we're advocating for through this project that um, I've gotten funding for is um, identity affirming, anti-stigmatizing, and um, sex positive healthcare. So what I want to do is essentially like have a practice session with a provider and a sex educator for them to take a sexual history. And throughout the interaction, they ask their questions, they have to um, affirm and introduce their pronouns um, and also get comfortable with people maybe being married and having multiple partners or being polyamorous or not dating or being sexually active at all, coming in and out of celibacy Um, And get comfortable with uncomfortable questions and also talking about kink and BDSM because sex is not exclusively intercourse. And we really have to get to a place where we are separating uh, sex as exclusively looking at it like a penis going into a vagina and then a baby being made because that's not what it is anymore. We're talking about masturbation. We're talking about same sex sex. We're talking about anal sex. We're talking about oral sex. We're talking about uh all using sex toys, we are talking about sex expressing in all of these different ways. And then kink and BDSM as well, like ways to practice uh, good health, utilizing barriers, not just condoms, which we talk about just going on a penis. There's more to it than that. And we have to be able to get healthcare providers comfortable with that in general without bringing their own biases into it. Because different people do different things for their pleasure and pleasure as well. You know, sex and intercourse are linked. Pleasure and sex is linked. And you don't have to have sex in order to experience pleasure. And I think that what this project does is support healthcare providers in being able to not lump things into labels and categories, which is well useful for medical school and for delivering diagnoses, but maybe not for treating the whole of your patient. And one of the things that we say is something positive for positive people is that sexual health is mental health. And when we can reframe the healthcare providers, uh, the ways of viewing a patient who is positive for an STI or coming in for treatment or inquiring on their sexual health status, then we can start to see more of a person without locking into their genitals and whatever assumptions that there are to be made about how this person experiences pleasure. So that's my, let me get off my soapbox now. (laughs) Uh, That being asked, are you sex positive? say that I was beginning to be the most sex positive of my life at the time of being diagnosed not because I was like fully pursuing many partners or anything but because I was like starting to unlearn some of those narratives that I like grew up with um, and was beginning to date more and have friends in various types of partnerships Um, and I think though that like testing positive made me more sex positive um because it made me unlearn like all of these things that you have to be doing x y and z in order to get an sti or like um these types of people have them all of that because like here i was like someone who hadn't had a whole lot of sexual experience um who got an sti from having protected sex um all of these different things you know so i think that that was really eye-opening and also um, pushed me towards finding community that was 
very sex positive um, and becoming involved in projects that promote sex positivity and that encouraged a lot of that unlearning and relearning and exploration. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that you use condoms and you still got an STI because that's something that, too, needs to be taught. No, condoms do not 100% of the time protect you from an STI. And I even think that with the percentages of like even, oh, it reduces the risk to 99.6% of likelihood that you won't get someone pregnant. Let's talk about that 0.4%. Let's talk about what does get people uh, an STI, what does get people pregnant when we're using condoms. And we don't speak about what to do when a condom breaks, if a condom slips off, if a person loses an erection and it like comes and goes, when do we switch out condoms, Uh, the use and application of lubricant. These are all things that fall under that 0.4% and they happen all the time. Alcohol, the influence of alcohol and other substances that alter your state of uh, mind where you might be in the moment and it's hard to come out of the moment. Like you're in it and you're like, you know what, man, forget this condom, right? And everybody's, you know, in that uh, mindset in that moment. So to be able to have the tools and resources and comfort with being able to negotiate these things. Okay. Well, when this happens, if this happens, what do we do? There's not near enough of an emphasis on the communication piece of our sex education. And I think that what sex positivity does is fill in the gaps and the missing pieces for what our sex education gave us. But it also, in filling in the missing pieces, you really see just how insignificant and flawed those pieces that were there holding the structure that was as fragile as it is in place. And you have to go through the process of unlearning those and now replacing them with new narratives. So essentially what sex positivity is doing is replacing sex education. And it's like... There are so many components of sex positivity that can just be linked into our sex education that we can get rid of some of that stuff, like having kids go Google stuff like what? Let's yeah, let's let's do better. Let's let's integrate this stuff. Let's bring it all together. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's I think that there's that inner like that connection between sex positivity and kind of what can happen following testing positive is like you're forced to have those conversations and I don't know for me like I didn't feel prepared to have those conversations with partners about sexual health um at least in a way that was like truly comprehensive um and mutual and I feel like testing positive allowed me to be like I have to take the space up to have those conversations like I get to do that also like I think that there's kind of a privilege that comes with being like well I have to have that conversation if that person isn't like ready to have that conversation like is that somebody I would want to be with anyway right um because if you're not able to communicate about that like what else are you what else is going to be too uncomfortable to communicate about um so I think that it's yeah, it's an interesting position to be in where you get all of this. I think it can feel like a burden, like the thought of disclosing and at the same time, like reframing it to be like an opportunity is really 
been beneficial to me. Not that I've put it into practice very much um, in intimate settings at all, but um, even just with like friendships, I think that me opening up about my status has offered people in my life a lot of room to be open about their um, like sexual fantasies or like what they're dealing with in their relationships and just like understanding that we're like not going to judge each other for that and that we can talk about things that aren't often talked about publicly um so that feels like a really good thing that's come out of it yeah Yeah. and sex positivity while it's being sex positive we speak about sexuality and sexuality and sex while they are connected, I think get lumped together. And we don't want to talk to our youth about sexuality when the components of that are those non-sex related things like how you navigate your relationships, healthy and unhealthy, abusive or uh, consensual, um, talking about uh, setting boundaries, being able to receive a no, being able to say no, and being able to identify what your needs are and ask for them, and then experience pleasure. You know, pleasure too, being so linked to the word sex. Like, what feels good to you? What is your self care? Do you enjoy watching anime? Does that bring you pleasure? Do you enjoy cooking? Do you like sharing meals with friends? Do you enjoy playing? What is pleasure to you? These things, like, fall under the umbrella or sexuality falls under the umbrella of what pleasure is. But if we're unwilling and unable to talk to people about them, about these things, we are not opening the door for connections that are filling, that are transparent, that are mature, that have meaning to them. And again, like it's something that Unfortunately, we had to go through the, um, the, do I want to call it a trauma? Yeah, it's a trauma, the trauma of testing positive for an SCI in order to become sex positive. What if, just hear me out, what if we are able to educate our youth to being sex positive without the association of sex being what it is? Like, why not call it pleasure positive? So we're having pleasurable communication and connections with our peers and the relationships that we build are given a solid foundation of pleasure positivity because i believe we can talk to our youth about sex without even talking about sex and that's uh you know like sex aside like the sex education that you were given if you were given that later then youth would already have a framework to work with going into that talk to where they can ask questions and they can apply what they already know, knowing or having now learned about STIs in general. And now they can apply the boundary setting, the intention setting, the healthy and unhealthy recognition of the people that you're going to or thinking about being sexual with or having close relationships with and really fostering connections that are rooted in everyone experiencing pleasure outside of the context that we have given it as a society that pleasure is sex. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. Yeah, I think that there's like a little interesting, I guess, context of like where I come from in this conversation and like my idea of pleasure and intimacy after being diagnosed and being my age. Like I was diagnosed in college 
um, a very like hookup oriented place to be. And that never was super appealing to me. Um, and testing positive, um, I contracted from getting back together with somebody while they were traveling through town. Um, and I had mixed feelings about like pursuing that encounter again and specifically with a, a man um, because I was like ready to explore my queerness and really felt like ready to do that finally. And then I tested positive for herpes and then I felt like, oh, like I no longer can access pleasure one because it feels too overwhelming to like pursue any type of encounter and having to like disclose and navigate being STI positive in college um, and openly encouraging conversations around testing and all of that and to like pursuing my first like queer encounter, right? Um, and so that put me in, I feel like a really weird headspace and I think that it's connected deeply to like sexual health and mental health. And I'm really thankful that you talk about that a lot. Um, because yeah, it's like, it was odd to find myself in a position where I was really ready to learn and um, identify like what pleasure means to me and what I really actually want. And like come to find out that like the intimacy that I desire isn't really what people seem to be ready for in college, right? Um, and so, yeah, like, I, to be honest, I haven't been with anybody since being diagnosed. And I think that it's multi, like, there's multi-layer, <laughs> multiple layers to that. Um, all of what I just said, and also just, like, personally navigating the physical side of being positive. Um, but, yeah, like, that allowing myself to finally have the space to, like, truly take time away from all of that and be, like, okay, so if I were to pursue an encounter, like, what do I actually want? Like, what do I actually need from somebody? What do I want to see from myself? Like, what is pleasurable to me truly? Um, and I think that, like, being herpes positive in college is an interesting um, position because obviously there are herpes positive people in college but all of the like online resources that I was seeing were people who were like in their late 20s or 30s and so I didn't really feel represented at all and like that's part of why I started to be public about my status and then like doing so I've had people who like literally I know from school like reach out to me and be like oh I have herpes too and that was like so huge right um so I think that, yeah, going back to, like, what would happen if our conversations with youth were different um, about pleasure and intimacy and sex and all of the above, um, I think that, like, everybody would be in such a different space and more in tune with what they truly, like, need and want. And that would be absolutely amazing. So, yeah. This is just a little bit of a, it's not a side note, but it's more of like a props to you for being willing to explore your queerness now in relation to what your queerness is and not in relation to 
another person. Like you don't have to actively go out and pursue someone in order to prove to yourself that you're queer. You are queer and you are within yourself. You know, yes, you haven't pursued anyone to at this moment, but you're allowing for yourself to not have any external circumstances because like when we're in relationships with people or we share relationships, we sort of uh, experience ourselves through them. So for you to experience yourself, your queerness in relation to yourself and your queerness, this is going to tap into a whole new level of queerness for you. And I'm, I'm really, really, really excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it feels good to be like taking the time and putting in the work to like explore. And I, I think that I have a long way to go, but I'm, it's again, like something that I'm really thankful that happened through her phase is like, have the thought of like losing that opportunity made me realize how important it is to me. Um, and so, yeah, it's again, like a funny thing to have to go through in order to fully realize that. But, um, here we are. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah. 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 Well, I thank you for sharing your experience with me. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share before I let you go? Not really. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice to talk. Yeah. Well, we mentioned your thesis. Uh, do you want to just kind of give an overview of what it is and maybe how people can find it? And I can also link it in the show notes here. Um, yeah, so I'm fairly public with my status. I started a page called the Gallery for Positive People on Instagram. And I, um, at University of Oregon, was able to do an undergraduate thesis project on the lived experiences of herpes positive people. So it was a qualitative study. I interviewed 24 people from around the world on what it's like for them to live with herpes. Um, and I produced a thesis that's like 100 plus pages um, on their stories and what I found. Um, and yeah, I think that the ultimate takeaway is like there's immense power in us sharing our stories, like literally in every single section, whether it be sex education, um, self-care, disclosure, like literally everything. Um, there was so much like beauty and connection and learning um that was like found among all study participants because like those who had a family member or a friend who had shared their status like that deeply impacted how they you know experienced testing positive and it just like filtered into every single aspect. So I'm really thankful that you're encouraging these conversations, Courtney. Um, so yeah, if you want to read the thesis, it's linked in the bio of the gallery for positive people. Um, and it's in like a link tree type of system, but it's called an exploratory study on the lived experiences of herpes positive people. And you'll be able to find it there. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and then to make it easier on you all, like we'll link it in the show notes as well. So you'll be able to just click under, uh, you'll be able to click it underneath the episode. Um, it depends on how you're listening. If you're listening through the website, you'll access it really easily. But uh, through iTunes or whatever else, uh, you'll just have to go to the show notes and you'll be able to find it. So, 
All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast. I hope that you are rocking with us um, because these are very educational episodes um, for this grant that we received to be able to take in this information and just see uh, what I've taken away from here is just that we can take our sex positivity and start introducing that to youth in a way that doesn't scare the parents or the educators or make the kids get all weird about the word sex by beginning to look at uh, separating the word sex in its meaning of intercourse as we mostly see it. And it's, it's sex isn't just intercourse and sex and pleasure aren't the same thing. You know, these are things that are related, but we want to be able to educate youth to be more pleasure positive um, if we're uncomfortable with saying sex positive, right? So I am working to be able to advocate for this and the support that I receive from uh, the listeners and the guests and the donors of Something Positive for Positive People has really allowed for us to take this information and now be able to compile it in a way where we're telling a story from people's experiences and we're able to now see just how impactful this can be. And now that we have a narrative that we're attaching to this project, we're able to move forward and go, hey, here are some needs and then we can begin to explore different ways to meet them. So all of your support, however you choose to do so, is super supportive and has gotten us to this point and who knows where it's going to take us next. Till next time. Stay sex positive.